Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just your typical Spike. On the line with me, hunkered down in both the snowstorm and the pandemic, my good buddy and producer extraordinaire, Cameron McCoy. Man, what is up? Not a lot. It is a, uh, you're right, a low-key weekend, uh, watching a lot of movies that's, and playing a lot of video games. That's, that's the week. What's, up, what's on the slate in terms of video games? Uh, so, um, in my build up, my lead up to Elden Ring, which I'm sure we'll be talking about in a six week segment, um, come February 24th, I am playing, replaying <laughs> The Witcher 3. Um, I made it about 20 hours in to the first time, um, trying to get through it so I can just get it off of my list of shame because, dude, it's a good game. I recognize that. I don't know why I haven't finished this game. I don't know why. So I finished it twice. Um, <laughs> I would uh, I would recommend it. It's one of the best games ever made. I think it's the best game of the PS4 generation. Um, I think it's really improved a lot with age. Uh, yeah, you should play that game. Yeah. Do you yeah. get caught up on the card game or the side quest? Or uh, what the happens? card game really distracts me. <laughs> I'm like, no, you're not going to play Gwent. You're going to finish this mission. <laughs> you know, hey. I'm no stranger to a game of Gwent. I'll just say that. Um, so, Cameron, we are actually a Magic the Gathering show. Um, sounds like you've just been trudging through Pioneer lately. Oh, dude, yeah. Um, so this week, I haven't had the chance, um, due to snowstorms and pandemics and all of that, to go to the shop to play cards. But um, I am building – somehow I have – materials for multiple pioneer decks which is awesome so i've been kind of goldfishing two decks specifically the blue red control or blue red phoenix thing in the ice deck which is by far and away i think one of the best things you could be doing in pioneer and then just because i am me i'm also playing a blue white control list um which is running four teferis three narsets and you know dig through times and away we go um and both are just incredibly fun. And I, I, I'm just on a broken record as far as like how much I've been enjoying uh, goldfishing these decks, playing these decks, um, to the point where I'm like, do I open MTGO and attempt to play, you know, some Pioneer? Just because like I, I, I love it that much and I feel like I'm not getting the reps that I need in to play this for what I, I hope, I hope this summer will be somewhere where I can play some Pioneer tournaments. So it is weird that there's not, it's like the lone non-rotating format that doesn't have supplemental dedicated design product for it, mm -hmm. right? I'm not trying to make this about Modern Horizons and Historic Jumpstart and all that, but like it does feel a little more toned down because it doesn't have those things and it seems to have a little bit more continuity of purpose mm -hmm. um and so that really sticks out when you look at the deck list right because you're like oh this is from this era this is from this era yeah you don't have this muddled okay so they did this and they mixed this card with this and um it, it just it feels the way modern used to mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah yeah and i can't decide if that's like an actual benefit or it's just nostalgia you know, like if it's just a warm fuzzy to me and it's not actually a benefit to the gameplay. Um, 
But whenever you look at the decks, as if you've been playing for a while, it's so much easier to grok. Yep. Right? Even as somebody that's like a legacy player that's been playing legacy for a long time, a lot of times now when I look at legacy and they there's cards that are listed from Modern Horizons, from whatever, Commander product, I have to go, okay, wait, which one is this? Where it feels like often, uh, before these supplemental products, cards got their time in the sun, in standard, before they became legacy staples. Yep. And so you kind of have like this weird developing relationship with that card. Um, Snapcaster Mage, Delver Secrets, I would put in that, right? Yeah. Um, whereas something like Deathrite Shaman is an outlier. Didn't really see play in standard. Obviously wrecked older formats. Um, all right, Cameron. So Pioneer-wise, I've got Blue-Red Phoenix. Should I just stick with that and not it, move a muscle? It is so incredibly good. Um, you can't go wrong, and you'll win tournaments with it just because... It is what it is. I think it's like, it's incredibly good. Um, also, like, there's just like all these other like weird decks that I think are just like fantastic. The mono black deck, the mono red deck. Um, I saw those played, what was that, like two, three weeks ago? They're just so good and so solid and so strong. Um, and once again, I, I just love that you can kind of see like, oh, this is where that card came from in historic, and I understand its context and relationship to this deck. And you add thought seeds, and all of a sudden you got like an incredibly great, you know, tier one pioneer deck. Um, I don't know. Like, I think I, I think part of it is just that it's new to me, obviously, and, and so it just feels incredibly fresh. But I just feel like the decks themselves, even though I've played some of these cards hundreds of times. Um, it still feels a little fresh in a way that, um, I don't know, and I'm not criticizing Legacy, but I feel like I start to go through kind of a, the the rote of Legacy of like, I know these play patterns, I'm going to be playing it. There's still unexpected cool things that happen, but um, I don't know, Pioneer's just been surprising because of the the freshness, I guess. Yeah, and also in some of the games that I've watched, the skill ceiling is is where it needs to be for a non-rotating format, mm. um, which I miss. Um, anyway, uh, sorry, I just got a, got the message from the missus that the roads are okay today. We're, you know, these are the things <laughs> that we worry about in the Midwest in the, in the winter. I got to get the road report off my phone. Um, so, Cameron, you might be surprised to learn that I decided to, we'll say engage in an experiment. Both MTGO and Arena have Cube right now. Hmm. So, I decided to play both. Okay? Oh, okay. The, the Arena Cube is just called the Arena Cube. <coughs> the MTGO one is a very strange one right now. I think it's called, like, the Super Vintage Cube. But basically, you open a pack and you can pick two cards. And it kind of fast feeds you these packs. And, you know, basically, you end up... Uh, everyone's got, like, some amount of power. Like... It's not uncommon for both players to have multiple Moxin in play. Mm -hmm. um, and so the first thing I did was I played the Arena Cube. And um, disappointingly, and not surprisingly, the nerfed slash updated versions of the cards, the alchemy versions of the cards, are being pushed inside mm -hmm. of Arena Cube. That's not that surprising. Still can be a little bit of a drag. And I found as someone that doesn't really want to interact with those cards... A little bit obnoxious because <coughs> I had to reread it. So, for example, 
Allman's Epiphany, it took me a minute of reading it to go, okay, what is different about yeah. this now? You know, and understanding if it was a pickable card or not. Um, Arena Cube still plays really well, and I really enjoy it. However, I find that the card pool is still small enough that you find yourself playing these very particular decks a lot. I've been like force drafting Ephemerate like the past, which is the blink effect. So it's like a blue-white blink deck with like Cloud Blazer and Prince Charming and you know Skyclave Apparition and basically anything you want to blink. Yorion goes in this deck, mm-hmm. right? I just try and you know blink them out, right? So I force that almost every draft, and it's good. But you can also do a. They very heavily support ramp because over the life of Arena, ramp has been a extraordinarily well, uh, you know supported thing um storm not so much there are storm cards but there's not the support cards on arena for example mm-hmm. so anyway it's still four thousand gold it's still a good time and a great way to kind of freshen up arena i would say the product is wearing a little thin and could really use a better infusion of cards that kind of go in different directions then i go to mtgo and have you ever like driven a car that's like 20 years old and you forget about all the modern things that a car built in the last you know 10 years has sure sure for example um you know heated seats right <laughs> the ability to connect to your phone right yeah yeah a, 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 a rear view cam <laughs> right <laughs> and i know somebody's out there going Curtis, I drive a 2004 Toyota Camry. I'm going to keep driving it because that thing cannot die. And that's true. That's true. true. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You can't kill a Camry. (laughs) You cannot kill a Camry. But, uh, you know, when you sit down to do it after you've been driving, like my car is an Uber new. It's like a 2017. uh, You're like, oh, boy. Some of the interface things, there's like a weird input delay from when you click. That you've forgotten about. That you've forgotten about if you haven't played it in a while, right? Yeah. Um, I sat down to play it, and I found just the drafting process to take forever, and I wasn't waiting on other people. It was just me picking through these things. There's UI issues where you're like unaware of where to do this or where to do that. It's not like super clear by comparison to the UI of Arena. Um, and just the things leading into the game itself are kind of bad right Mm -hmm. this cube is also pure insanity um (laughs) it's like really pushed to 11 and i kind of it kind of went too far like i love powered cubes but when everybody gets a mox or a black lotus it kind of feels like it's not special anymore sure yeah right of two of my three matches both my opponents and i had black lotuses Okay. Okay. <laughs> so that that just kind of makes it feel a little less special. Unfortunately for my opponents, they kind of tended to draft fairish decks. I ended up going two and one, and my match that I lost, I went off, but then I emptied like I missed. I didn't draw into what I needed. Um, but my opponents were like trying to ramp to a crater hoof behemoth. Okay. You know. Like, and I'm over here playing Mind's Desire. Like, yeah, what are we doing what, what, here? Yeah. Like, <laughs> but I had, I had Yogwill, Black Lotus, you know, fun things. No kidding. Past in Flames, Time Walk, um, 
you know, it was it was a blast to play with those cards, and that is the appeal of MTGO. I experienced no delay into getting into games, All right. so that wasn't a problem. Um, I think a lot of people play Vintage Cube on there almost exclusively, but the big problems tend to be if if you're like sitting there and you're like, okay, I'm burnt out on Arena. I'm like Curtis. I don't live super close to a shop. Should I play MTGO? I still would be a little bit hesitant about it. Yeah, because me entering this, like I had twelve tickets sitting around. But it was essentially $12 for me to enter this draft, right? Yeah. And that's a steep cost. You get none of the cards. I had to go two and one just to get my entry back, right? Um, Eventually, so, you're going to have to, like, you know, just download the client from an AOL CD from 1997 or something, you know? <laughs> well, and that's the thing is, like, unless, like, if you are a super invested player... You just don't have this giant back roll of ticks yeah. to like go through, right? Like, and I think that's something when people recommend MTGO, they kind of miss is like you have to pay to enter these events, right? Yeah. And that's something that Arena still offers. But I still think the best deal in all of Magic right now digitally is learn how to draft a format and draft it on Arena. Like it, you know, if you if you do like fifty bucks a set, you could pro- and got good at drafting, you could probably make that drafting last for quite some time, yeah. right? Yeah. Um. Anyway, have you have you're thinking about just MTGO? Are you going to do a rental service for Pioneer? You just straight thinking yeah, about straight buying I mean, it? Down? Yeah, no, I would totally just do a rental service. There's no for me. There's no point in investing in any of those cards on that system. But for a month, if I just want to get reps in, I think that might be the way to go. Um, but who knows? I mean, I th- how many people are actually, I, I don't even know what the queues are like in, in MTGO or anything like that. I think mana traders, which we've used before many years ago, yeah, it's like 35 bucks a month. Um, so, you know, and you just don't have to battle the weird economic stuff of like recent sets are hyper expensive, but other yeah. stuff isn't when pe- everybody played MTGO. <coughs> so anyway, I, I, it was an interesting thought experiment. If I'm being honest with you, I went back and I played the arena cube because I could just do it faster. Yeah. Um, but there's problems with both, and I'm really excited to get back into standard, so, uh, especially with this new set release. So, yeah. All right, Cameron, let's get out of the segment, come back, and talk about what else is going on with Magic Together. All right, Cameron, so... Before we get into just some very early Kamigawa Neon Dynasty impressions, I wanted to talk to you about this. Popper is being farmed out in terms of decisions like the ban list to a bunch of like you know uh, people in the community. One of them works at Wizards of the Coast, but there's a lot of people that are like well-known personalities within the Popper community, Popper content creators, stuff like that. I like Popper. Um, mm-hmm. I have some. I, I've had Popper dual decks in the past that I've kind of whipped out uh, at Friday Night Magic, and I think it's a really fun exercise. I don't know if it's a really great competitive format, but I think it's an awesome casual format. Um, so the question is, should this be done to vintage legacy mod? Like, it what? Do you do you look at this and go, this is a good thing or this is a bad thing? Um. I don't know whether it's good or bad. I find it interesting, and I do believe that um, something like Legacy, 
I just it does not get the support and the love that it deserves. Um, and so I feel like I, I don't know if it would actually be a good thing, but it seems like giving it support in itself is a good thing. And so I think I would be in favor of of them doing something they've done for Popper for for Legacy. Yeah, I I, I kind of go back and forth with this because on one hand, I think this should be what WotC does. Mm-hmm. You're the ones that are curators of the card game and you're kind of seeding that a little bit. You could also make a pretty strong argument to me that they're not, so you might as well have it get done by someone, right? Um, Popper, I think, is a good like look for this because... Wizards of the Coast is not making any money or seems to neglect the popper community quite a lot. Often there's cards that need to be banned that are not. Mm-hmm. Um, but Legacy... Uh, I, I think this should happen with Vintage, 100%. Mm-hmm. 100% should happen with Vintage. Um, that's kind of like... I, surely the Vintage community at this point is smaller than even the popper community, right? Um Commander somehow, some some ways, works like this, right? Um, but let's talk about this from the perspective of modern, Cameron. Mm. That's where I'm really... Because that's where there's this weird uh, overlap of Watsy still very much makes money off of modern. Mm-hmm. But they're not very interested in curating it, I think, clearly. Oh, yeah. Um, whereas Legacy, I think is kind of a little bit further to the left on that Venn diagram, right? They might make a little bit of money on Legacy, like, you know, Legacy players had to buy Merktide Regents, right? But not, not in the same way, whereas Modern, it's like they're exclusively printing product for Modern, and they're going to continue to do that, but they're not really managing the ban list very well by a lot of people's standards. Mm-hmm. So where are you at on this, man? Yeah, I mean... As long as there's money to be had and Raghavans exist, you know, and they can print more and more money on their end, I don't feel like it's going to – I just don't see Wizards, Swatsy doing anything to to manage – or to – for the benefit of modern, <laughs> for the health of modern, I guess. I just don't see that happening. Um, I, I just – I don't see it, man. Yeah, yeah, and like Ragavan's kind of become a shorthand, like on our show, I guess, for this kind of behavior of printing to slightly above the power level of the format in order to sell packs, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, it's gone beyond what we think that actual card can do. Like, you could insert again. We talked about Arkham's Astrolabe in the same way. Uh, Merktide Region, I think, is very much headed in that direction as well. Yeah. Of maybe this was a big oopsie, um, but they're not going to really stop making those because, you know they're going to sell product that way. High margin product too, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Um, but I think it would be really interesting to see, like if you got all the, the top legacy content creators, community members worldwide, like would they snap, like if this happened, I would they snap ban one of those cards, you know? Um, would they bring a card back that's on the, like off of the ban list, something like balance, you know, mm. or maybe, maybe balance isn't banned. I don't know. But the point is, Balance has been banned before. Yeah. And them saying, hey, you know what? This is actually within the realm of possibility again. 
Whereas uh, with modern, the, I think the risk they run is if they print a product and the 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 community voters or whatever pull the trigger on something while it's still in print, yeah. right? Which in popper is not the risk. Um, but on one hand, this is lazy. On the other hand, I think it's probably better. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it comes down to finances. Now that I really kind of think about it, it's like, yeah, this works for popper because all the cards. The, the financial risk to getting into popper obviously i mean there are some like money cards but it's not near what it is for legacy or modern where the community decides you know what we're gonna get rid of the duels because that's what <laughs> that's what's healthy or whatever right for example they would never do that but for example um i i just can't see watsy being okay with the community kind of making those decisions on such on on money which is like the bottom line for wizards is not okay right they're in it for the money they're in it for not the health of the game but for the money yeah and also you get into this weird thing does that upset the apple cart with collectors yeah right because feasibly so let's say there is a legacy panel this is becoming an interesting thought experiment yeah it is okay yeah. So let's say, and I, so I apologize to you, Cameron, that I am so far off script from the show notes. <laughs> um, but there's this legacy panel, and they go, you know what? We have got to save this format. Everything that's on the reserve list is banned, which yeah. functionally, in the way the format works, is dual lands and lion's eye diamond, right? Like, trying mm -hmm. to think, like, there's other ones here and there, but those are the big things that would actually grossly affect the format, right? Mm -hmm. um, a lot of things that, People sometimes misalign with the reserve list, like Force of Will, or not actually on the reserve list, whatever. Um, so, yeah, if they just did that, that would really impact people's collections. You would assume some number of people would sell off, sell off their duels, yeah, um, and buy a car or something. I don't know, uh, or maybe it would impact their price would deflate. So, there is some risk associated with doing this in Legacy, but I think you and I would both think it would be hilarious if they did that. Also consider this my application for being on the legacy community uh, <laughs> voter, voter group, guys. Let's do it. <laughs> Hashtag save legacy, right? Um, all right, Cameron. So we've got a few uh, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty cards that have been out for like three weeks. Mm -hmm. I just wanted you... Let's just talk about a couple of them, okay? Yeah. Um, which one? Which one was speaking to you? Which one do you want to read? I mean, we gotta talk about Umazawa, right? Uh, Satora, yes. Satoru, uh, Umazawa, which is a legendary creature, uh, human ninja, power, uh, power and toughness two four, costing one, a blue and a black. Uh, one of you activate a ninjutsu ability. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of them into your hand, and the rest in the bottom of your library. Uh, in any order, this ability triggers only once each turn, and then each creature card in your hand has ninjutsu. So, as I've seen with memes on a couple of my Facebook groups, uh, I, you know, uh, Emmercool is now a ninja, and uh, let's let's see how we can do this, right? So, interesting card. Um, in the context of standard, uh. I feel like we're going to see some new decks popping up, which I'm excited for. I think we, there's some, maybe some interesting refinements. Um, ninjutsu is such a wacky mechanic that I always forget exists, and I, I really do like it as a mechanic. Um, yeah, and I think this, I think there are going to be people out there who are going to try to ninjutsu a whole slew of things from Emmercool to. 
um, other Emrakul to Eldrazi to other Eldrazi. So, yeah. I mean, we want to live the dream again of uh, tribal ninjas, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, and, you know, Ninja the Deep Hours has seen significant play. I would also say that it's kind of like a <coughs> cube staple. Like, of the Kamigawa block, there's very few cards that you see all the time in, like, cubes and, you know, best of lists and stuff like that. And really, Ninja the Deep Hours is one of those, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, most a lot of people's cubes don't include Umazawa's Jit because it's just kind of an I win button yeah. uh, in Limited. But, uh, y- you know, those are two of the cards that I most associate with that block. Um, also, weirdly, one with nothing, but that's another thing. Um, another another card that I just want to mention real quick is more of a return of the dragon. So this is Atsushi, the Blazing Sky, which is two red red for a flying trample uh, dra- legendary dragon spirit. Okay. Uh, previous Kamigawa also had legendary uh, dragons, right? Uh, when Atsushi, the Blazing Sky, dies, choose one. Exile the top two cards of your library until the end of your turn. You may play one of those. You may play those cards or create three treasure tokens, right? So again, a nice fit in with our blue-red dragons or dragon treasure tribal stuff. Um, However, you'll notice that there's no haste on this card. Hmm. So perhaps that's going to affect it negatively, but it does create treasures. Goldspan Dragon, Galazeth, who hasn't seen play in a little bit now. Um, There are some, like, uh, interactions there. Mm Mm-hmm. But let's just let's have some big dragons in each color, right? Like Why I'm not? down for that. Yeah, I'm down for that. We uh, did that in D and D as well. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, this card, as you said, like Galazeth, like I feel like you're splitting the difference, maybe with maybe using this in addition, just with the uh, the raw power of the treasure tokens. That's not nothing. So um, I don't know. Lay this out. It dies, and then away we go with Goldspan, right? So. Uh, yeah, it seems pretty good. Seems good. Like, it also okay. could block right. your opponent. Yeah, it could block your opponent's gold spans, right? Yeah. Um, blocks a faithless haven. So there's all these like weird, you know. Maybe you'll play that in like a more of a uh, control build yeah. because it acts as kind of a wall with a benefit. Blue red control does play the four mana create treasures thing. I can't remember what it's called. <coughs> That's but, right. Yeah. Um, these things matter. So. Anyway, this is our early, early look, and I just feel like we had neglected those, and I was like totally planning on talking about them last week. Last week got hyper-negative. I was like, I don't want to saddle Kamigawa with this. But so far, it's a cool set. So, Kim, what are your thoughts on it, man? Just, I'm like, digging the vibe. You're I, yeah, liking, liking the neon colors. Um, I, I don't know. Any cyberpunk sort of thing is pretty cool. And like Kamigawa is like one of those sets, I think I've mentioned this before, but like when I first moved to Kansas City and started hanging out with you. I, that was like one of the sets that was getting released. So mm-hmm. I wasn't playing a lot, but I was dipping my toes into uh, Kamigawa at the time. So um, it's great to be back in that world. Yeah, that was like my first time returning to the game mm-hmm. after like five or six years gone. So anyway, it was very cool. Let's get out of the segment, come back and talk about what we've been watching. All right, Cameron, so you have got to tell me about The Last Duel, a movie which I actually know what it is. Yeah. 
and I love me some medieval stuff. It's a Ridley Scott thing too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it has everything going for it, dude. And uh, Ridley Scott, Defense Force, go. Here I go, right? Um, yeah. Is this movie perfect? No. By in no stretch of the imagination is it perfect. But um, I didn't realize how much like I was kind of needing a um, period piece done by Ridley Scott and and just a, an adult movie right like just mm-hmm. this is not marvel this is not like just another thing that's getting regurgitated it's it's like its own new pro, a new a new story or you know i mean a retelling of a story and so i really really dug this um adam driver matt damon um uh, the actress who was fantastic and i don't remember her name jody comer i think is her name um it is the uh, 14th century, and it's really telling the story of this rape that happens of this uh, this noble woman um, between with Adam Driver and Matt Damon, who are kind of friends and then have a slow falling out over a decade. And mm-hmm. it's told over the course of three perspectives, three stories. So you get Matt Damon's perspective. Uh, Adam Driver's and and Jody Comer's, and each has like a slight twist on like the perception of like what's actually unfolding, and that makes it really really interesting. Um, it's a long movie, but like I I really dug kind of seeing like how Matt Damon perceives himself in relation to these characters versus anybody else, um, and it, it's you know classic like medieval France. Um, it's highly desaturated, so it has kind of like this muddy look, which at first I wasn't okay with, but it, I think it makes sense in the context of this is the Dark Ages, so like we're going to go with it. Um, there was mud. There was mud. Yeah, there was a lot of mud. And uh, incredibly violent. Um, there's some unpleasant things to watch in this, so I don't think I can recommend it to if, if you're sensitive to that sort of thing. But um, I don't know. I I dug this movie I, I i was glad that i watched it not not perfect but it was definitely worthwhile yeah dude i um i could don't watch almost anything ridley scott makes just because of the way he shoots things mm-hmm. um i will forever uh be a defender of some of his medieval movies like um you know a of course kingdom gladiator heaven, right but yeah. uh but kingdom of heaven the director's cut especially, there is some footage in that that is just out of this world amazing, right? Mm-hmm. It's problematic. Perfect? No, right? But I don't know. It just felt like that movie, Kingdom of Heaven especially, like it had a horrible critical reception that it did not deserve. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it's okay for a thing to be a C, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, the it, that's like the also the example of the director's cut being like infinitesimally better than, mm. or infinitely better, sorry, yeah. than uh, the theatrical cut. But, um, yeah, just love Ridley Scott. Could watch just about it, anything he makes, commercial or uh, a commercial or a feature film, right? Yep. Uh, and he's got to be getting up there. How old is he now? He's, oh, has to be in his 80s, I think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Cameron, did you know that The Expanse actually ended this last Friday? I heard about this, yeah. Saw it all on Twitter. Um, well, you probably saw this Easter egg, which was amazing in it. I have um, but 
Continue, please. All, all, all you need to know is, like, basically there's a battle sequence and they show a screen and it's a bunch of names. And the names are just basically the who's who of sci-fi. It's like C. Shepard, C. Kirk. You know, it just goes on down the list, like bo- both like film, TV, yeah. books, um, everything. It was so cool that they just showed the screen of like, hey, these are our guys. And then it was just like that. And you're like, yes, these nice. these guys. There was uh, Kara Thrace was on there. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, I dude, The Expanse is such an interesting thing to talk about because I don't know of a single show that grows so much over the course of its first three seasons to go from I think the first season is actually just bad I've seen mm-hmm. it twice now because I rewatched it with my wife I think it is a bad first season and unfortunately you kind of got to watch it to understand like the basics of what's going on and it's like it's an example in trying to really duplicate what's told in the books but not understanding the pacing of TV versus the pacing of a mm-hmm. novel Mm-hmm. and it really just doesn't work. And then out of that comes a really special show, uh, and it takes some time. But what's really nice about The Expanse is it, it's sci-fi that is like extraordinarily grounded for what it's trying to talk about, right? And it doesn't really shy away from um, the, pe- the people in it are um, kind of engaged in this really brutal conflict, and it does take something out of them at all times. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I feel like Star Wars is a great example of this, right? Star Wars characters are just blowing people away, left and right. You know, <laughs> And it's fine. They don't seem to have any psychological baggage from it. But by the end of The Expanse, you really feel that all of this stuff has so worn on these characters and the things that they've had to do and 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 all that it's just really nice that you can see that there's real character arcs like very real ones mm-hmm. and some of the performances just grow out of like like in that first season they are so bland and so plain and they really grow into special performances i i really think especially naomi who's the female lead like by the end of the show her range on it has just been really something hmm. so um it's a great action like it's also a, a really great set of action set pieces at the end, like you might expect for a space opera. Um, but unlike Game of Thrones or Battlestar, the show never really lost itself. It is very once it found its footing, like in season the end of season two, mm-hmm. it really stayed true to that all the way through. There's no, I don't know, like really hard plot turns that don't make a lot of sense. You know, everyone seems very consistent with what they're trying to do and why. Um, so anyway, I, one of the best sci-fi shows ever made. Um, it just, man, you wouldn't know it from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've watched that first season and uh, just have to wait to re-up our Amazon subscription again. And then I'll, I'll blast through it probably. So seriously, Wikipedia season one. Start on season two. You'll, you'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, don't put yourself through that again because it is. I mean, we're talking like ten hours of sheer boredom. Yeah, yeah. And it's just not worth it. Try not to spoil yourself. The other thing I'll say is, there's a lot of like kind of vagueness about this being quote the end because there's certain storylines that are not resolved 
um, that are kind of more of the meta mysteries or meta storyline, but the actual character arcs themselves wrap up. Hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, a uh, high recommend. I dude, I know a ton of our listeners watch the show because when we've talked about it, we've gotten message before. So, yeah, uh, if you haven't checked it out and are you kind of have to be in the mood because it is a little grim, and by a little grim, I mean a lot grim. <laughs> um, I actually started watching the show during COVID quarantine, and there is a whole like infectious disease sub like okay. theme through the whole thing. <laughs> so you know, you should know that going in probably. Anyway, Cameron, if someone would like to get a hold of you and tell you to read slash watch The Expanse, where could they find you? It's all on Twitter, at Cameron underscore McCoy. And I am at Curtis Now. Our official show feed is at SpikeFeedMTG. We'll check you guys next week.